The Rangers' up-and-down season continues following their loss to the Kings Tuesday night. We chat with New York Post beat writer Larry Brooks about the West Coast trip and Henrik Lundqvist playing time. Former Rager great, a friend and a teammate of mine, Ron Gressner, will also join in the podcast. Also, another installment of Ron Remembers and the debut of Ask Doogie. All that and more next on Up in the Blue Seats with the New York Post. Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you direct your attention to Center Ice for a special presentation. Welcome to Up in the Blue Seats podcast, a New York Rangers podcast with the New York Post. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Rate the show five stars. Write a nice review. Ron loves when you boost his ego. New episodes come at you every Thursday morning. The post-Rangers beat writer Larry Brooks and former Rangers great Ron Greshner join the pod today. But now, here's your host of Up in the Blue Seats, former Rangers great, number 10 on his jersey, but number one in our hearts, Ron Duguay. Hello. Thank you. Welcome back. So the Rangers are out west on an important road trip. First game, play the Golden Knights on Sunday. They win five to nothing. They looked awesome. It was payback for what the Knights did to them at Madison Square Garden. Then, then they play the Kings on Tuesday night. They lose a close one, 3-1, where Jonathan Quick and Nett outperformed the Rangers. So it was a good game. They lost. Now Tonight, they play against the Shark in the Shark Tank with a team that the Sharks are always hard to play against, and then Saturday against the Ducks. So the Rangers are now 15-12-3, have 33 points, tied 11th in the Eastern Conference. But let's get into all of it with the guy who is there covering the Blue Shirts beat. With New York Rangers beat writer Larry Brooks. Larry, it's uh, overall, it's been a good week since we last talked with the New York Rangers. And if you talk to Coach Quinn, what he's looking for is always improvement, improvement in their game and uh, for them to be a little more consistent. And watching last night's game, LA Kings, and even I go back against uh, when they played the Knights, a big game where I felt like I wasn't sure what to expect because of their inconsistency, but they go into Vegas showing a lot of um, wanting to uh, get back at the Knights for what happened at Madison Square Garden. And they just came out flying, and they got some breaks, scored early, and they ended up really beating the Knights in a commanding way. I wasn't sure where all this came from other than getting good breaks early. And once they get good breaks early, they're a tough team to play against. And go into L.A. last night, you're wondering, okay, they're playing against one of the worst teams in the NHL record-wise. And uh, they had their breaks. I felt like they were the better team the first period, and they didn't get scoring because Jonathan Quick was um, being at his very best. But overall, things are looking good for Rangers as far as uh, them playing the way Coach Quinn wants them to play. Well, I think against in Vegas, clearly the – their goaltending set them up to win the game. Georgiev was spectacular, and and they're a team that's ridden outstanding goaltending throughout the first quarter, first twenty nine games. Now we're at uh, they that is their baseline. Excellent goaltending. The Knights they get excellent goaltending. They'll beat anybody. 
the nights the goal the, the nights that the goaltending is a little bit less than that they have a tough time and I, I think Georgiev has stolen some games for them lately. I think Lundqvist has stolen games for them. I thought last night Hank was fine against the Kings. I thought Quick was a little bit better. They have a tough time winning games when they get out goaltended. Very tough because the one thing that, that I'm a little bit surprised that um, over the last couple of weeks is the inconsistency of their production. And I still think they're they're looking for combinations. They're looking for chemistry. And they're looking for... Uh, an attack mode they haven't been able to generate consistently. Well, the one player that uh, I've been watching and, and to see how he grows as a player, and that's Kako being a first-round pick, um, knowing and hearing about all his skill set and uh, his hockey IQ. Um, last night's game, he gets eight shots. And so the message has been sent to the players. We need more shots on net. Doesn't have to be good quality shots. Just get pucks to the net. So I saw a lot of that out of him, eight shots. He was more visible than I had seen in the past. So overall, into 30 games, Brooksy, how would you describe Kako as far as what you've seen so far? I think as an 18-year-old playing on a marginal team, he's done just fine. I think as probably an overhyped second overall pick who was expected or, or uh, yeah, I guess he was expected to make an immediate impact the same way Jack Hughes was. I think he's been a little bit of a disappointment, but that kind of depends uh, on your perspective. It kind of depends on what your expectations were. I think Kako, it, I thought last night, uh, I'm with you. I thought it was his best game in a while. I thought he was forceful. He was driving. He was shooting the puck. The eight, the eight shots, you know, just stand out um, on a on a stat sheet on a team where guys don't like to shoot the puck. Um, you know, maybe you can explain it honestly. Maybe you can explain that mentality of guys not wanting to shoot the puck because I can't. And it's it's been this way for a number of years with the Rangers. It's not just this group. It's not just this coach. It just seems to be the way they've played now for five, six, seven, eight years. But again, getting back to Kako. I, I, I think he was on the upswing before he got the flu and missed those couple of games. It's been a month now, and maybe it's taken him that long to get to get back to prime physical condition. I thought he was making a real impact for the games before he got the flu that was in the middle of November. Maybe now he's coming back. I, I think the Rangers aren't quite sure where to play him. Clearly, he belongs on the first power play. There's no doubt about that. That's where he is. That's where he should stay. I, I'm not sure, though, whether he belongs on that first line with Panarin and Zibanejad. I think that's a lot to ask of him. Myself, I am more comfortable with him being in a, in a second line or third line role right now. Well, I need to ask you, with all what you said, it comes down to coaching because coaching has so much to do with how you prepare your players, how you see them um, playing a certain way, play certain roles, what are your thoughts after 30, 30 games? Same question on Coach Quinn. What have you seen in him that you really like? Is, is his ability to balance attempting to win now and taking care of the future. I think, I think it's been a very, very challenging balancing act for him. I think it's going to become a very challenging uh, balancing act for management as we come closer to the trade deadline. I know I talked about this last week, but to me, this is going to be an overriding theme of the next 
two months of the Rangers season is, are they playing for this year? Are they playing for next year? Are they playing for three years from now? And they're trying to do everything at once. They want to make the playoffs, no doubt about it. This is an organization that wants to make it. The coach wants to make it. The players want to make it. So from, from that perspective, I think David Quinn has done a terrific job of managing both masters, giving youngsters time, but also pulling back on time when he feels that he needs to shorten his bench. And if the younger guys aren't up, up to par that night, he's going to sit them and he'll go with the veterans if he needs to. Um, I think their, their defensive, defensive deficiencies uh, come back to the coaching staff. I mean, if you give them credit for having it, you know, for, for playing well on the power play, which they do on certain nights. I mean, that power play on, on certain nights is explosive. I, I don't understand why they uh, yield so much ice in the neutral zone. I don't understand um, especially how they defend on the rush. I think their rush reads are way off. And I think some of that comes back to the coach. So I like the overall job he's done. I think he's got a very difficult job. There's, this is a team that has a lot of placeholders on it too. A lot of the veterans aren't going to be here next year. They're not going to be here the year after. We know that. And I think, and I think again, the way the coach has been able to manage the personnel has been outstanding. The way the Rangers have played defensively has not been outstanding. Well, having said that, how do you explain that the Ranger defense are first in points in the NHL? Got it. They they have a lot of skill. Um, but I would also just say that that stat is a little bit misleading. A little bit. Because Brendan Smith's stats are included as a defenseman. I don't have the slightest idea why the NHL does it. I don't think Brendan has taken an even strength shift on defense this year. He has played exclusively at forward, except on the penalty kill when he plays exclusively on defense. However, the the, the Rangers staff encourages the off the defense to get involved offensively. And, you know, when you have guys like Tony D'Angelo and Jacob Truba. And Adam Fox, you know, the three guys on the right side, that's their forte, getting involved, getting involved, moving up the ice. Um, I, I think, you know, clearly D'Angelo is a better player in the other end of the ice than he is in his own end of the ice. I think Fox right now is a better player with the puck, moving it and playing in the offensive zone than he is in the defensive zone. Although I like his one-on-one, I, I do like Fox's one-on-one for a young player. So their, their skill sets of their defense fits right in to join the play, um, get involved in the rush, bring up the puck. Um, so from that standpoint, the Ranger defense is, is, um, is very proficient. All right, getting behind the Ranger defense is goaltending. And a lot of people are asking me, do you think Gorgiev is going to get more start times with the way he's been playing over Lundqvist? I, I certainly think so, yeah. I think that uh, I think that right now the Rangers are in a, in a situation with their two goaltenders that the player who plays best is going to get the most games. And I think that's the way it should be. I don't think there's much question about that. And I think that the, both goalies up here understand that. And so one of the defensemen that uh, has been well, well liked, and that's Mark Stahl. Do you see any takers from other teams do you see the Rangers taking calls on Mark Stahl? What do you think his future is with the New York Rangers? I think the choice is Mark's, right? He's got the no-move clause, so it would be up to him whether he he would even be interested in, in moving anywhere at this point. I think Mark has some value. 
as a as a meaner type defenseman. He's not a great skater, obviously. He's not as mobile in, in a league that prizes mobility. So there are issues there. But he's tough around the net. And when he's playing well with that long reach of his, he's going to win one-on-ones. He's going to chip it out. Um, I, I think as a depth defenseman for a Stanley Cup contender, he'd be of real value. However, you've got next year's contract. It's 5.7. Um and, and I'm just not sure whether there'd be much interest in Mark, but the first thing is, would Mark agree to go? And I don't believe they've had that conversation at any time during his career. Whether it becomes a point of conversation as the deadline nears, I would think so. But I, you know, I, I wouldn't have any any uh, insight right now as as to what Mark is thinking. And that that leads me to Kreider. Um, we had talked about you and I had talked about this before with Kevin Hayes had the Rangers had tried to sign him a year before they probably would have gotten him at a good price. And now we're in that same position with Kreider who's struggling right now. It'd be a good time to negotiate with a guy with his agent, trying to lock him down to a fair market price. Does that make sense to you? It makes sense, but I, but I think it would have made a lot more sense to find out last summer what, what Chris was looking for. And since there, to my knowledge, were n- no conversations like that at all and there haven't been in any unless there have been in the last week or two which i sincerely doubt um i don't foresee that uh, happening i think the interesting call on Kreider is again going to come down to what if the rangers are in the playoff race what if they're what if they're right there when we're coming up to the deadline um are they going to disrupt the team again and i think and i and i think that's going to be management's um challenge not to cut the legs out from under this team while trying to build for the future it's tough i mean it's really they, they're going to have a tough a very very tough call to make and i think their inclination will be to to trade chris um for a package that would include a first round draft choice presumably and a younger player presumably um but if the rangers are say in a playoff spot or if they're within a couple of points of a playoff spot what are they going to do I don't know. I do know that that Kreider has to uh, play better. He has to be more productive. He has to be more consistent, um, and he needs that for the you know for the Rangers. He needs that so so they're a better team. He needs that so that it enhances his trade value, and he needs that so that it enhances his value if he goes on the open market next year. As I suspect he will. Yeah, and I think a lot of that has to do with the inconsistency of him having a certain type of centerman. He's the type of player that he's a north-south type player, and he needs a good centerman to get him the puck. And then for all players, most players, a lot of it has to do with confidence. So I I think that he's playing hard. He's a big, strong guy. Uh, He's just lost some confidence. And uh, what he's he's capable of doing, we've seen his past. We know he can score goals. He's a good forward. So it's hard to think you let that type of player go without getting something really nice in return. So that's just a matter of uh, let's see what happens. And to go back to the comment you had made and, and you made to me is that uh, why is it that these a lot of these new players, European more like players, are not shooting as much? Well, I can tell you the mindset of a skilled player is they want to be able to make a nice play. They don't like just shooting the puck to the net, especially if they don't think they can score. And part of that is goaltending nowadays. Goaltending is so different than what we used to play that goaltending, if they can see the puck, they will stop it. And so guys don't want to necessarily shoot 
unless they see a big crowd or even then they want to make a nice play. So that's kind of the mindset that some of these players are going through, especially the Europeans, and and Coach Quinn is trying to break them from that. It does seem to be infectious. Um, It seems to be contagious. And there is just one rush after another where you see the Rangers um, eschew great scoring chances. They do, to, to create a better one. I understand that. They're always trying to create the perfect play. You don't need to be perfect to score a goal. You know, you need to be close sometimes, but so many good things happen when you shoot the puck. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't need to, to tell you, you know, but so many good things can happen when you shoot the puck. And, you know, fewer of them can happen when you make a pass through, when you try and make an east-west pass or, or you know, a pass across the slot line. When it works, it's spectacular. But when it doesn't work, you're just chasing. You're on your way back chasing. And, and, and I think that's one of the reasons the Rangers have so much trouble defending is that they rarely possess the puck in the offensive zone and they're always they're, they're always scrambling to, to get back and, and play the rush so um i think it i think it's all connected i think their their defensive deficiencies are connected to the fact that they they rarely win puck battles in the corner. They don't play a lot below the hash marks. They don't have much of a sustained attack. When you know when they're at their best, for with this team, it's one and done. It's in, make a great play, score a goal, or in, make a play, come back. And um, I think you'd like to see them. Um, advanced analytics aside, you'd like to see them have the puck more below the hash marks. At least I would. I, I, I think that's an important part of the game. Okay, well, Larry, I got to wrap it up. We got to wrap it up. Tonight, they play against San Jose, and we wish them the best. And let's go Rangers. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? No. Number 10, right wing, Ron Duguay. I belong here. The way I dressed was different. I had the big 80s hair, and I probably became more popular a few years ago with doing television than I was as a player. Walked the streets, and people recognized me. It's that time of the show where Ron Duguay tells a story from his past in this weekly installment of Ron Remembers. In the debut, you told a story that made the news waves, including the return of page six Ron about the night you met Cher and ended the night with you and her in Gene Simmons' bed. If you missed it, you got to listen to it. Episode two of Ron Remembers this week is the introduction to the New York Rangers. Your first week there back in 1977. Take it away, Doogie. Well, thank you. And this is where it all started. Um, my agent was Al Eagleson at the time. And I can remember getting the call that one morning it was a Saturday morning. And Bill Waters, his right-hand man, called me. He said, Ron, you just got uh, drafted by the New York Rangers. You went in the first round. Uh, we already negotiated your contract. And I said, what? We haven't even talked. Well, we already negotiated your contract. You're getting a $100,000 signing bonus. It's a three-year deal, 75000 80, and 85. And I said, okay, that's it? Yeah, that's it. You're going to be in New York in a week. And so I packed my bags, uh, head off to New York. And back then, I had hardly been on any kind of plane to go anywhere. So that was all new to me, if you can just imagine a young Canadian going to New York. So now I land in New York City, and then I ended up at Madison Square Garden, not really sure who I was going to meet that day other than the manager of the team, which was John Ferguson. And so I can remember walking in at Madison Square Garden in the office, the main office, and there was this man that, uh, to me, who was a hero. And um, 
because I didn't do the research on who all the players were on the New York Rangers, it all kind of caught me by surprise. So in the office is Phil Esposito, the man that I felt like in 1972 was the leader of that team when Canada beat the Russians. So I meet Phil Esposito, Steve Vickers, Roger Bear, and then there's myself, Luzanne Dubois, who was also a first-round pick. And so we do the chitty-chatter. We talk, we take pictures, sign the contract. I get my check. And so now they say, without Phil, they say, Steve Vickers, Rod Gilbert say, we're taking you to a spa. And I said, what? Yeah, we're going to go celebrate. We're going to a spa. I said, what is a spa? And uh, from Sudbury, he says, don't worry, just come with us. I get in the limo. We go downtown. I end up in this building, open this one door from the front door, and I walk down this hallway. This is all I remember. And we get to this end of the room, open the door, and I open to this door where this large swimming pool. And I said, Guys, what are we doing here? And there's the woman at the front desk. And so Rod has a few words with her. And then beside the swimming pool on the left-hand side, there are all these doors. She makes a phone call, and out of about 15 doors come walking out a woman, a beautiful woman. And they all go sit by the pool. And I said, what? What are we doing? She says, well, just pick one, and then you get to go and get a massage. I said, really? And so I picked the one. And that's where the story ends. But I'm going to continue the story because there's the following day. Now, the younger players, uh, Dave, uh, Dave Ferris, who was on the team who I'd known back in Subway, he says, come on, we're going to Long Island. We're going to go celebrate some more. So I go there, end up there for a whole week. And now I still have my check, go deposit it. And I feel like I need to spend something. And sure enough, I say, I need a car. I need a new car. And so while most players back then were buying Corvettes. I decide I want to buy a Cadillac. I buy this beautiful white Cadillac, white leather seats, white rims. And about two days before I'm getting ready to go back to Canada, I have this beautiful Cadillac. I drive near this marina in Long Island and I tell Dave, I said, Dave, I need a boat. I need a boat. Yeah, I need a boat. So I pulled over, went and bought a boat. Uh, it was like a 16 foot speedboat. So now I have a Cadillac, I have a boat, and I drive back to Subway. I pull into my mom, dad's driveway, which back then our homes were not very big, very small home. My car and my boat fit the whole driveway. And I said, Mom, Dad, I'm back. I did it. I signed for the New York Rangers. And by the way, other than what I just purchased, I so appreciate it of all of what you've done for me. Here's a check for 20000 I want you to put a swimming pool in the backyard. And so I say this only because of I so my parents paid uh, paid a lot of um, they sacrificed a lot. So I just wanted to pay back. So within a week, all this happened to me. And now I felt like I was a New York Ranger. Phil Esposito, John Ferguson. Now I was getting ready to start the season. That's my story. I'm so excited about my next guest. Him and I have been uh, teammates, longtime teammates. And ever since being teammates, we became good friends. And to this day, we are still good friends. I welcome Ron Gresser, number four, New York Rangers. Gresh? Dukes, how are you? Hey, listen, we, we were friends when we were playing. I thought we were friends when we were playing because we went out a couple nights. Yeah, we did a lot of that. And we had a special time. It was back in 77 that uh, I ended up in New York. And I, uh, you, you know, you just never know what it's going to be like on a new team. You don't know what the chemistry is going to be like. You don't know what your teammates going to be like. And for me, it couldn't have been much better with the elder players like Phil Esposito, Kenny Hodge, uh, Carol Vadney, and guys like yourself that uh, we all 
became like brothers. And uh, we had the older guys, veterans. And then the other younger players yourself, Dave Maloney, Don Murdoch, Mike McEwen. And I think because of our friendships, it had a lot to do with how we became a difficult team to play against. Uh, more importantly, 1979, we end up going to the Stanley Cup Finals. And a lot of that had to do with our uh, brotherhood. Uh, we had so much time. We had uh, so much fun on and off the ice that it led to a, a team that was hard to play against. So I know what I remember or kind of remember from that time. What is it that you remember in those early years of 77 to 79 going into the Stanley Cup finals? What is it that you most remember about all that? Well, I, I remember in 77 when you got there, I didn't know you could talk. So it was kind of like, uh, I was kind of like, they opened up Studio 54 because you got there <laughs> in 77. But I remember all those young guys in the team because a couple of days ago, somebody was asking me about, you know, defense and all that stuff on the Rangers. And I said, well, they go, they're young. I said, well, we had young guys. I was 23 or 24 years old when we went to the Stanley Cup Finals. I was the second oldest guy. Old, I was the second oldest defenseman on the team next to Carol Vadney. And he was like 32. And and we had Barish, McEwen, um, Dave Maloney was the captain, and um, Mario Merwa. You know, we had all young guys. But that team that team kind of grew together. We had a lot of fun. And I remember a couple of times, I think we were out in Colorado, Colorado Springs, when uh, when the year you were drafted, that that that, that year, because Lucian was there. And uh, a couple of the guys were dancing on the tables. Well, that was part of um, us bonding. Do you remember in 77, Sonny Warblin was the president of uh, Madison Square Garden. And I can remember having a meeting with him. It might've been in 78, 77, 78, where he kind of sort of hinted to me and to the rest of us because he had brought in Joe Namath into New York and he saw what Joe brought not only to the game, but also to the entertainment side of it. And so Sonny Warblin would remind me that not only are athletes playing a sport, but we're entertainers. And so he kind of wanted me to be out there socializing, having a good time. So I thought, well, I'll give it my best shot. <laughs> and uh, it just so happened that Studio 54 and 77 opened. And I once I got there, I felt very comfortable there. And, and uh, one of our teammates, Donnie Murdoch, who felt very comfortable being there also, uh, we were uh, we were a tag team. And I know you weren't as comfortable as going to Studio 54. What is it that you remember about that time? Uh, I, I, it was just one of those times, all the young guys we had and all the guys that stuck together, and we all, like there, there was, you came in and you kind of like, you kind of pushed the button for everything. You were like the new Joe Namath. And everybody, everybody a few years before that, I played with Derek Sanderson and, and uh, Turk tried to be that, but Turk was on his, like, I don't want to say the last years of his career, but he didn't. He he uh, he didn't have what you had. You had you had the great looks. You had that long curly hair that we shaved off. You know, trying to get like so the, some of us other guys could get a couple girls too. Well, Gress, let's talk about that initiation. I was told that you had nothing to do with it, and for for you viewers, uh, listeners, uh, initiation back then was brutal, and I'll never forget to this day what it was like. Uh, and I knew it was coming. I had been uh, in New York probably three months now. It's December. 
And it was one of those practices where I felt like the guys were talking to each other and not talking to me in practice. And so I was one of the last guys on the ice because Nick Fatio had tricked me into staying on the ice and doing some uh, passing and shooting. And I thought, okay, fine, Nick, this is not like you, but I'll do it. And sure enough, everyone left the ice. And then I was now ready to leave the ice with Nicky behind me. And I can remember walking through the dressing room door. We were playland at a time. And all of a sudden, Nicky grabs me in the headlock, grabs me by the neck as I walked in, because as I walked in, the medical table was set up in the middle of the room with all the medical devices. And I knew what that meant. Someone's getting initiated. And it was either me or Lucien de Blois. And sure enough, grab, Nick grabs me from behind. And that was it. He had me in the lock where I couldn't really do anything other than kick. My feet were available. And uh, sure enough, you guys strapped me down to that table and the way you had it at me. Uh, but you had nothing to do with it, Gress, right? No, I was. I, that was the day I was at, at home. I was separating my sock drawer. Yeah. So I couldn't. I couldn't be at the rink. But it, listen, every, everybody got it. It was a. It was just a way of um, uh, the team. The team kind of. They kind of. Everybody got together and they, they did this thing, and nobody really got hurt. And things were. The guy. The guy really. After. After it was over, the guy that got initiated really felt like part of the team. It wasn't like we made anybody drink like five bottles of whiskey so it would kill you. It was initiation. But, you know, you had the long hair, and, and everybody was going like, he's got such nice hair. And I think it was uh, I think it was John Davidson and Nick Patillo that shaved your head. Moving forward, Gress, let's talk about today and today's team, the New York Rangers, because I know you go to a lot of the games. You end up in the Delta Club, and you're really paying attention. As far as the, this team today, do you feel like they're moving in the right direction? I, th- I think they got. I think they have a really, really, really good coach, and I think that's a that's a start they needed from last year. But they got a lot of young players in that team, and those guys are only going to get better if they're playing, and they are playing. Like you, like you look at like Heedle, he went down to the minors. He came. He worked. He worked his tail off. He came back up. And he had a couple of chances last night, and he, he he's going to be he's going to be a really really good player. And then what can you say? What can you say about uh, Miko? Miko, he turned into being a top line center. He, the guy's a great player. And picking up the bread man didn't hurt him any either. He's so great with the puck. You'd like to play with a guy like that. Yeah, absolutely. So when you look back, Rest, when you look at the different coaches, you mentioned Coach Quinn. I think he, he's doing a wonderful job. When you look back at the coaches you've had, because you've had several coaches, who was your favorite coach and why? Uh, I'm not sure I really uh, had a favorite. I liked Freddie. Freddie was nice. I liked the cat. The cat was good. Um, I know a lot of guys didn't like Ted Sater, but Ted kind of worked in his, his own little magic. And I think Herb Brooks was a great coach. He was just ahead of his time. You know, Herb would be today. Herb would be like an. I mean, he won the gold medal. Like, like all that stuff was great. But at that particular time, hockey wasn't um, really that free wheel, free wheeling with the red line and everything else in. But uh, Herb was Herb was an excellent coach too. A lot of those guys were all good coaches. It's that uh, a lot of times, you know, like we, I was the only guy I think ever playing a team that we traded two first round picks for two coaches. Well, having said that, Gresh, how did you feel when I was traded away? You know, I grew up with Eddie Johnstone, 
And uh, me, and, me and Eddie have been friends for, God, 50-some years, you know. And uh, we played against each other in junior. We fought each other in junior. And he came to the Rangers, and we were friends. And you came in. You were quiet at the start, but you had a certain way about you. And we, we became good friends, and we still are today. And that was the hard part about that trade. Eddie Mia was only there for a few years. I got along with Eddie well, but the two of you guys leaving, that was kind of like a, um, it was a tough thing to adjust to right away. You know, it was, I know, I know it wasn't in the middle of the winter, so it was, it didn't affect the games, but we hung out a lot together in the city and we had a great time. And, and, uh, it was, it was, um, it was kind of like Dukes is not going to be here. What are we going to do now? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you mentioned Herb Brooks, and, and for me, um, what hurt me, and it's funny that I'm doing this podcast for for the New York Post because that page six kind of hurt me because uh, Brooksy would uh, would find out where I was from what it, you know I've been doing. How about yourself? Do you experience any problems with being in page six? Yeah, I got they used to call me in. They go like, "You were out last night." I said that was from Sunday night or Monday night. But nobody nobody knew back then. They. If they would, if we would have been around today, dudes, with all the stuff and that we were doing, would 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 have been, it was the mag, the, the, it's so magnified today because there's so many different outlets for the social media stuff. All we had was page six, you know, and a few magazines that were around. But it, you know, it, it they 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 did some stuff that was like crazy back then. I don't think they really wanted to grow the game. I think today they want to grow the game, and you can tell too. I think Batman's done a great job. He's made that team, made the, the league a lot of money, and made the players should the players should love him. Yeah, well, Gress, I'm going to end it with this. Uh, it's good talking with you. I know that a lot of people or a lot of Ranger fans are rooting for you because you've been such a good Ranger, one of um, not many to have played your whole career in New York, and a lot of fans would love to see your jersey um, retired at Madison Square Gardens. Your thoughts on that? Well, I would like to see that too. My mom is. Uh, Huge hockey fan. She watches every game. She's a big Ranger fan. And uh, and if they're going to do it, they better do it before she passes away. If she passes away, I don't really care whether they put it up or not then. It's uh, it's from my mother. And, and I, and I you know, your mother is your mother, and I love my mother. Yeah. Well, Gress, you were uh, – I'm going to end with this. You're a great teammate. You're a great guy. The Ranger fans love you, and they love to see you at Madison Square Garden. Wish you the very best, my friend. You too, dudes. You do a great show. Do great work, and you should be back on MSG Network. I, I love you on there. It's now time for our new Ask Doogie segment, where Ron Duguay answers your questions from Twitter. You can use the hashtags Ask Doogie and hashtag Up in the Blue Seats and tweet Ron at RonDuguay10 and me at Jake Brown Radio, and we'll answer the best ones. All right, Ron, here we go. First off. From at Agent Smith 212, he asked, Why do some players, specifically Rangers, refuse to shoot? Is it a physical skills thing, confidence thing, or just the way they were brought up playing the game? Well, my best answer to that, and I believe I've uh, talked to uh, Larry Brooksy about this, is that skill players like to make a skill play. They don't like just shooting on net, especially from a distance, especially if they know the goaltender is not screened. If they feel because of the skill of these girl goaltenders nowadays, if they feel the goaltender can see the puck and they're at a distance, they don't feel like it's a good scoring opportunity. So they decide that they want to make a better play, whether it's a give or go or try to move the puck or go in a different direction. That's kind of the mindset. 
Um, I know that I had played with certain players like Wayne Gretzky wasn't a guy to take a lot of shots on net. Other than when you'd see him shoot from behind the net, that's the only time where he'd take a not shot on net. Otherwise, he was always looking to make another play. All right, Ron, we got two more questions. This one from Amber Mao. Hi, Ron. My dad has your book, Thin Ice, since it came out, and I've read it too. My question is, do you ever stay in touch with Donnie Murdoch? What are your thoughts on, sadly, him never getting his promising career back on track? Thanks, Amber. Amber, um, with Donnie Murdoch, he was a close friend. We spent a lot of quality time together. We had a lot of fun together. He was a skilled player. And I think if you were to ask Donnie, he would tell you to this day that he was burning the candle at both ends, meaning he was parting a little more than what he should have been doing. I think it affected his um, his strength. And so he had saw, it's, from what I can tell, he, he lost some strength in his legs. And when that starts to happen, if you can't keep up, then you can't be the best player that you can be. So Donnie, partying a little too hard, kind of played himself out of the league. All right, Ron, we got one more question for you than this week's Ask Doogie here on Up in the Blue Seats. And it comes from Derek DeMacy at The Real DVD. And he asks, should the Dougie Hamilton fake dumping slash shot from the red line goal from last night be renamed the Greshner? <laughs> that's that's funny. Uh, yeah, Gresh was, uh, Gresh was always clever with the puck. And he would try things that normally other players wouldn't try. And so that would be something that Gress would try. Make it appear like you're going to fire it in the corner. And then you take that shot on net where it has a goaltender kind of cheating, coming out of the net, going after the puck. And all of a sudden, the puck is coming to the net. So, yeah, the fact that I love Gress, it would be great to name it the Greshner. That's a wrap for episode two of Up in the Blue Seats. Thanks to our producer, Jake Brown, for making it happen. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and follow me on Twitter at RonDuGay10. Another great podcast in the books. Looking forward to my pal and Hockey Hall of Famer, Phil Esposito, joining me next Thursday. See you then.